Thank you all for leading us this morning, reminding us who God is. That Savior that we've been singing about this morning, gracious, loving Savior, met together with his followers just before he ascended, gathered them together after he had been crucified and buried and rose from the grave, and he gave them some instructions, right? Matthew chapter 28, he said, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. When people ask me about neighborhood church and our community here and what we're about, that's it. You go back to what Jesus said there, to make disciples And all that that implies. To introduce people to Jesus and his call to be Lord, to be Savior and Lord and King of every one of our hearts. And so we as a church, we as a community, that's what we want to be focused on. Making and being disciples of Jesus. So... First of all, what does that word mean? That word in the day and age in first century Palestine, when Jesus spoke of it, a disciple was a learner, a student, right? And what a student or a disciple of a particular teacher would do is to study that teacher. And not only study, but follow them around. Live with them, walk with them, listen to them, learn from them every day, everywhere they went soaking up everything about them and what they were teaching. And that's what Jesus has called you and I to. Sounds kind of radical, right? This is the life he's called us to. And so we're going to look at actually another passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul had the mission of teaching and proclaiming Lordship of Jesus Christ and being his disciple and what it means to not not only know him, but to walk with him. He was giving that message to Jews in the first century who were converted to Christianity and also Gentiles. To the Jews, he was proclaiming that, listen, it's not about religion. It's not about earning your way to God. It's what Christ did on the cross. It's about grace and faith. And to the Gentiles, he, would proclaim, he was proclaiming that you can't actually have a relationship with God. doesn't matter where you were born or what family you were born into. doesn't matter where you've been or what you believed before or what you've done. It's by grace, faith. You can know God and walk with Him. So this letter is written to Christians, believers in the church at Colossae. And though this morning, listen, though this morning I want you to check out, if you say, well, I'm not a Christian, I don't know if I'm a Christian, I don't don't want you to check out this morning because this message is for all of us. Because we all are seeking to know this morning, right? What it means to have true meaning in life, true purpose in life, to walk in joy, to grow 
in terms of our humanity, in terms of wisdom, to find healing, to find redemption in our lives. Now the Christian understands that all of that is found in Jesus Christ. All of that. None of that is by our own doing. None of that is by works. And so there's a message for all of us here this morning in this passage. And so we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 through 14, and see what does it mean. Paul is unpacking here through a prayer for these Christians what it means to be a disciple of Christ and to walk with Him as Lord. And so beginning in verse 1, Colossians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So he's writing to Christians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, also, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have qualified us. We have not qualified ourselves. And so today we come seeking to know you more, to walk with you, Lord, that this would not just be religion in our lives, that this would not just be something we do for an hour or two on Sundays, but God, we want to walk with you. We want to live life as you have designed and created us to live it. So lead us this morning in all knowing your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul, like I said, is addressing this church in Colossae. And like I said, this morning, I wanted to preach on this passage because we're doing our fall kickoff. We're kinda, we took a break a little bit for the summer with small groups and D groups and everybody was kind of all over the place traveling. And so as we get back together and we kick off the fall, it's just an opportunity to remind ourselves, refresh ourselves, what are we all about? What are we supposed to be all about and what should we be all about? And so Paul is encouraging these followers of Christ. They live much like us. They live in a secular, pluralistic, lost, broken world. He's trying to encourage them and equip them to live, walk with Jesus. And in his prayer, beginning in verse 9, he lays out a beautiful picture of what it means to be a disciple. And so I want us to spend just a few moments here 
so that we might see not only what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but how we as a church can be faithful as encouraging and equipping one another as disciples. So let's begin in verse 9. Paul, in the first eight verses, starts with some pleasantries. You know, he, he always does that. He talks about Epaphras, who helped start that church, and he's a, he's a mutual friend. But then he, he turns here and sets the bar for them as fellow disciples. And the first thing he prays for them is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we heard... Interesting there. And so... So what's he saying? He just got finished talking about all that they've heard about that church. You guys are doing great. Awesome. We've heard you love Jesus. You love the saints. You're doing a a great job. And so, or for this reason, since you are doing so great, we've not ceased to pray for you. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we are praying people, right? He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Do you pray for anybody like that? I don't even know what that means. We never cease. Does that mean once a week when I sit down and pray, you're, you're on that prayer list? No, that means constant, consistently walking in a state of prayer for them. And Paul talks about in other places, he prays for all kinds of things. I'm convicted because when I read that specific part right there, I thought to myself, I don't necessarily pray like that all the time. Why? It's because we live in a world of of me, right? Of go, go, go. And to pray means I stop and I turn my attention to Christ. I turn my attention to, to, to God and his will for me. It's not that I lay out a laundry list. It's that when we pray, we shift our perspective to God's perspective. We're reminded that this is, this is not a temp, life is not just the temporary things that we see. This is a spiritual thing, and God is listening. God is with us. You look at Jesus' example. Look at Paul's example. Prayer, prayer is a serious thing. But he goes on to say, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Listen, we are all formed by some authority in our lives, every one of us, right? When we're younger, it's our parents, right? I wonder if they're watching. I wonder if they'll find out. I want to make sure, you know, my dad used to always say, remember whose you are and who you are. It was, they were the authority in our lives to a certain degree, to like 12. No, hopefully not. But then we begin to grow. We begin to shift the authority in our lives to to other things, Maybe it's our career, maybe it's our education, maybe it's just philosophy of life. It becomes the golden rule, maybe, or do whatever feels good, or always put yourself first, or, or always put others first, or, or my career goals, or the approval of others. Whatever it is, it takes on authority. We might not call it that in our lives, but it begins to form us because it really is the driving force behind our lives. Listen, as disciples of Jesus Christ, of those who have said, yes, I receive him as Savior and Lord. We're to be formed by, driven by, and inspired by Jesus and his will for my life. His will for my life and his will for the world. His perspective. Filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just a little, but filled with it. 
The will of God is shaping me and forming me. And as Christians, we've been given tools for this, right? We have, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have Scripture. We have community. We have other believers. But it has to be intentional in every one of our lives. If we're not intentionally being formed by the will of Christ and God's will for our lives, the world is battling every day for authority in your life. To get us all under the same set of rules so that nobody judges anybody, nobody's better than anybody. But when the will of Jesus is first and foremost, when the will of God is first and foremost, it looks different than the world. And listen, a lot of us are living in reaction. This is, this is dangerous because we all go through this. As soon as I walk out the door, like this morning, I walked out the front door of my apartment. I was in a very spiritual mood. I'm walking down Columbus Avenue. And you guys all know I have a very special relationship with the, the farmer's market right there. In the morning, I'm coming to church and it's very crowded. And everyone's very concerned about other people. No, that's not true. It's hard to walk through there sometimes. And so I walked out of the apartment. I was like, yes, Lord, speak today. And by the time I got halfway across the back of the museum, I was just like, seriously? You don't see me here? The world and life itself will get us off track. And my reaction to the world, my reaction to those who offend me or hurt me or desire my friendship or approval, whatever it is, that will take over if I'm not careful. And I live in reaction to the things that happen to me and the people around me. Listen, the will of God is ultimately what He has called us to be filled with, to be driven by, to be our authority. And we get weird about the will of God. Let's just be honest, right? Sometimes it's a little bit of a weird subject, right? A little mystical. Like, okay, when I get to the coffee shop, if there's any almond croissants left, then I, I guess God wants me to have one because there's never any there when I get there. But Lord, if you want me to have one, it's a little overboard, right? Or if I get to the store and there's more, if there's a shirt left on that sale, then I'll get it. I mean, there shouldn't be one. So if there is one, it must be good. I mean, that's oversimplifying, kind of being, poking fun at it. But we get that way about God's will. We're a little confused about it. Play little games with it. We set out fleeces for God or hoops for him to jump through. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Many theologians will talk about the two wills of God. In that passage right there, we see the secret will. He says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. They're called decretive sometimes. What, those mean, what that means is God has a will that is, like R.C. Sproul says, none of our business. There's a will that an infinite God has that we don't know anything about, and we're not going to know anything about. Some people get obsessed with this, especially the first couple of years of semin seminary. I can just tell you when I was in seminary, 
Everybody wants to read between the lines and find some other things that maybe we don't talk about in church. We want to have something new about God. The secret things of God are none of our business. They are the secret things of God. And all that that does when we get obsessed with this deepness is we get prideful and it produces confusion. But there's also the revealed will of God, he says there. But the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. These are the perceptive things that God has given. His will and and the will of God that we should know, that he's given to us to know. It's his desire that we know his will in this way. For example, in Scripture, we know. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. We don't have to guess. We know. We see it right there in Scripture. It is his will that we give thanks in every situation, right? That we pray. He made it clear. Also, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. It is God's will that you trust Him. It is God's will that you lean on His understanding rather than my own, His desires rather than my own. Now, that doesn't mean you might say, well, what about prayer? Doesn't God answer prayer? Yes, He answers prayer, of course. He hears and answers in accordance with his will, which means, number one, a lot of times I can know the answer to God's will before I even pray. We ask God a lot of things that he has already revealed to us. It also means I, I can release my grip on what the answer is because I'm not trying to force it into my own Thinking. I understand when I ask God, Lord, what, what should I do in this situation? Or Lord, please answer this or grant this or whatever. I know that whatever he decides, he understands better than I do. Right? Remember, Jesus gave us a perfect example of that in the garden. If it, if it, could be, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here's my request. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's how we pray. We say, Lord, I understand that you, you have a purpose and a plan for my life. Here's my request. I know that you know best, so I, I trust in you. He says knowledge and understanding. He uses those words a couple times here. It sounds like he wants us to engage our minds in this process of knowing God's will. See, Paul is writing to a church that's been under attack a little bit by these Gnostics. Right? They've come in, they're like, they believe in a secret knowledge of God that if you don't have it, you can't go to heaven, you can't know God. It's the secret things. And so they're attempting to bring division in that way. If, you're, if you don't have that knowledge, if you're not smart enough to get it, then you're excluded. They claim to have some knowledge of the secret will of God and created division with that. And Paul is saying, if you want to know something, you want knowledge and understanding, pursue, be filled with the knowledge and understanding of God and His will. Because it is a deep ocean. He is a deep ocean. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Listen, transformation, what God is doing in you, the Holy Spirit, He's doing that through through the word of God. 
He's doing that through the revealed Word of God. That testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, do not be conformed to this world. What, what he's saying is, try, stop trying to think like the world. Stop trying to look at every situation from the perspective of the world. Seek the knowledge and understanding of God's will. He's, he's revealed it. The scriptures tell us who God is, how he thinks. He's given us through the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, through these authors, that we might know him, that we might know his will for our lives and for the world. So listen, this morning, if you want to know the will of God, press into his word. And some of the revealed things in Scripture, all of them, to know them to the fullest, what he's saying to us is spiritual, right? It's the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. We want him to speak through the croissants or through the whatever the stuff in our lives. But he speaks through the Word. And he transforms us. It's not always a yes or a no. Listen, what the, what the Spirit of God is doing, what the Word of God is doing in you and in me, is transforming us. Not whether I should take that job or not, but giving me the mind of Jesus, giving me the perspective of God of the things in my life, giving me the tools to make wise decisions that please Him. So to be a disciple, to be a follower, a learner of Christ is to be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding and to pursue it. And that is a, that is a priority for us here in this community, neighborhood church, right? There are a lot of things we could be busy doing, but this is at the top. This is what we don't want to sacrifice. We want to equip one another to get into the word, to know the will of God for our lives and for the world around us. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. We want to learn. We want to know the, the will of God through his word, through his spirit. That's what I love about our small group Bible studies. We've got small group Bible studies kicking up again this coming week. We dig into the scripture. We share with one another. We seek to know the will of God with one another and push one another towards him. It's a wonderful time. We're starting um, this week, and we'll be going. It's a little bit different format if you've been in our small groups. Small groups is a time where we just meet during the week and get in each other's or get in a couple apartments, and we really just study the Word. This, uh, this semester, we're going to be looking at a video. It's about 12 to 15-minute long video. We'll eat, we'll eat together. We'll uh, watch this video, and it's on the Beatitudes. Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It talks about the Beatitudes, and, and uh, Matt Chandler will say a little something about it, and then we'll take it and discuss it with one another. So it's going to be a great time. I hope you'll make that a priority. But to know and to be filled with the will of God, but also to walk in that will, to live that out. Learning must produce living. He says in verse 10, so as to, he's saying, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will, wisdom, spiritual understanding, so as to, not just for its sake of knowing, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's a purpose here. The way that we walk, the way that we live says something about what I'm learning, who I'm learning from. In 1935, there's a, there was a study by a German-born psychologist, Werner Wolf, and he concluded that the way you walk can tell us something about your personality. I don't know if you've heard of this. For instance, if your walking style is a fast walker, then according to his research, your walking personality reveals your highly diligent and outgoing kind of person. People with fast worker personality are more likely to be open to new experiences, extroverted and conscientious people. They walk fast, they're found to be go-getters and risk-takers. If your walking style is slow, then, you're, then it reveals that you're a cautious person. Slow and shorter strides usually tell you that you're likely an introvert. It might just mean you're not late. But the point is, the way that you walk, the way that you live your life, your priorities, your friendships, your relationships, how you spend your money, how you respond to struggles and trials, how you treat your neighbor, even how you have political conversations. Believe it or not, should be affected by knowing the will of God in your life and walking in intimate relationship with Christ. Not just those you agree with. I find myself in the presence of people all the time I do not agree with in a lot of things. And the challenge is, what comes out then? What do, I, what do I find about what I'm learning and who I'm a student of in those moments? Deuteronomy 29, 29 again, he said, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. You know, I've heard people say it different times. You know, Bible study is fine, small group and all those things. That's, that's great. But I, I am in these other, I'm in this other study, and it's deep. Like, we do the deeper things in that study, right? We go to another level. Listen, you are not going deeper until you're living what you're learning. What you've already learned do you pray? Do you study scripture? Do you serve? Do you love? Do you share Jesus with others? Do you put others before yourself? Are you confessing sin? Are you forgiving others? But you know, unfortunately, it's not enough for some people just to, to know Jesus and to grow in, in, in knowing him and walking with him. It's, it's not enough. We need something more. But he tells us, Live this life. Adjust your life. You get bored at times with the things of God because a lot of times we're not stepping out in faith. We're not living it outside these doors. Like, yeah, great. That was a great message. I, I don't even know what that means in my life or, or don't care. I pray that that's not the case. We adjust our lives to Jesus. The more that we know God's will and walk with him, the more our life changes 
So many times we're confused by the world's opinion of Christians and the rejection of Christianity. Listen, a lot of times the world's not rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting you. They're rejecting the way that you live or the, the fact that they don't see hope in you. They don't see a difference in you. I know in my own testimony, I, there was a time where, you know, I grew up in the church and, and then there was a time where I left and just kind of was living in rebellion, doing whatever I wanted. And then I started to go back to church and then I was like, you know what, is this really a thing? I'm, I'm grown now. This takes effort. And I remember God just grabbing me and I, and I recall thinking, if this is real, I want it all. If this is not real, I don't need it. I don't need guilt. I don't need another thing to do on the weekends. But if it's real, if Jesus is Savior, if his words are true, and if I'm saying that I'm willing to swing out into eternity on this truth, then my life has to change. I'm not talking about legalism or, or doing enough good works. It's just simply setting Jesus on the throne of my heart. His opinion, his desire as primary. Setting him as Lord over my thoughts, my habits, my relationships, my actual life. If I'm not going to allow Jesus to affect my life and the very practical things of my everyday life, then I don't know the proof that I do believe it is there. And you can see the transformation. And that's a beautiful thing as a community, walking with one another, encouraging one another. We see each other grow. We see ourselves grow. We celebrate that in one another. Something cool has happened in our small group before we broke um, for the summer. When we first started the small group, our prayer time at the end of the small group was very much, you know, typical and, and good stuff. Like, hey, I need prayer. You know, I, I got this coming up or, um, you know, I need this and I'm having this procedure, whatever it is. God, the Word tells us to, to pray for one another, or all these things, bring those things to the Lord. But something interesting happened towards the last month or two of that small group. As we went around and asked anybody if they had any prayer requests, they started to sound something like this. Yeah, there's this guy at work, and, and he's lost, and he's very anti-Christianity. But he's starting to ask me questions. I just need prayer to, to know what to say and to be, you know do it the right way and say, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, my neighbor, the lady down the hall, she asked me to pray for her. And then she came, and I said, sure. And she came back and she said, what does that mean, really, when you pray? Like, what are you doing? And she's like, I need prayer for me to give me the wisdom to know what to say and how to, how to communicate with her. I know, I know some people with needs in my life and whatever. We begin to, our minds begin to be transformed. It's not just about me getting mine. It's not even just about what I'm learning. It's about stepping out into the lives of other people and allowing God to work through me in their lives. Listen, the world is desperate for Christians who claim to follow Jesus to stand up and start walking that way. I'm not saying stand on the courthouse steps and protest. I'm saying follow Jesus. Press into him. Press into knowing his desire and will for your life and be bold enough be brave enough to live that in those moments where you find conviction or something you didn't see before. God's communicating to your heart to, 
to actually adjust my life in faith. Because here's the thing. Through that process, we are strengthened, which is the next part of being a disciple. It's being filled with the knowledge of His will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Listen, I know some people came to Christ and thought it was just going to be an easy life. Yeah, I'll take some of that. Yes, I love that community. I love hanging with you. I like you and you're there. I'm coming. Or yeah, Jesus gives this and that. Listen, surprise, surprise. When you came to Jesus, you stepped into a battle. The war is won, but you stepped into the spiritual battle. You become spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. And now there's a, a battle raging. And what happens with a lot of Christians is we just bail on that battle. Right? The first sign of difficulty or conviction. Listen, Satan is attacking constantly. And he doesn't show up with a pitchfork or whatever you... He shows up in everyday things and everyday pressures and attitudes and the people around you. And if we aren't training ourselves to know his will, to be able to have that spiritual understanding and wisdom that he talks about, our faith will suffer. Because we will continually give ground until we're finally deconstructing our faith or actually being deconstructed and reconstructed, reconstructed by the world's standards. That's not his will. We end up living again in bondage. A lot of the struggles we see today in our society is simply a result of a kind of privilege, an ease. Because we've refused to engage, even with believers, because we've refused to engage in the spiritual battles that are being waged in our lives. Even as Christians, we've said, you know what, it's just better to go along, get along to go along, whatever that saying is. But then the world's focus becomes our focus. The world's hope becomes our hope, which is no hope at all. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a, a British pastor and theologian at the turn of the century, he was a medical doctor before he was a pastor. And before the Spanish Civil War in Barcelona and Madrid, the, the psychiatric clinics had high numbers of neurotics, as he called them. But something happened that cured them all. A war. The Spanish Civil War emptied the clinics because everyone was worried about their family. They were worried about losing their lives, losing their livelihood, losing their homes, or being killed themselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, greater anxieties, as he was talking about this, greater anxieties cure lesser anxieties. And what has happened as we as Christians so often, we've just disengaged. I got Jesus, thanks. All the rest, no thanks. And so we're out of the battle for holiness in our lives. We're out of the battle of Satan's ploy on the world around us and, and seeking to influence us. But we're in, when we're in that battle, the lesser things fall away. But when we're constantly seeking the path of least resistance, which is a thing today, we never grow. We never grow in strength. 
as disciples. We become, inf we stay infants, as Hebrews chapter 5 talks about. And the cares of this world become our cares and concerns. And they're not spiritual. They become more and more carnal according to my flesh. And, and in my flesh, I live in a privileged society that avoids struggle at all costs, even becomes indignant when we see it. It's an interesting passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. It says this. Paul is talking. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a really weird way to look at the world. But could it be that Christ is doing something in me, in the midst of my trial. Something deeper through the pain, through the hardship. Something that I can't possibly know or experience in time of ease. But listen, when I hold fast to the will of God, when I'm pressing into Him, when I'm seeking to walk according to that will, I'm in this battle, I'm being strengthened, I'm growing stronger. He's burning away the impurities in me. And the ultimate fruit of this, as we come to a close here, if I will stay in the game, if I will not give up, if I will keep following Jesus, as James said in 1.4, he says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Its full effect is this. In verse 11, he says, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Listen, this is what Jesus offers real joy in life. And it produces thanksgiving. It produces giving thanks and being grateful in times that the world would look and say, what, what in the world? You are going through it, man. What are you so thankful for? Because he has grown me out of my immaturity, my shallow, disappointing life of just pursuing relief all the time. It's awesome there. He says, Jesus has qualified me. That's overwhelming. I'm accepted. I am approved of. I don't need to spend my whole life trying to seek the approval of everyone else. I am qualified. I'm enough. Even in my sin, even in when I fall, because I have laid it at the foot of the cross. <clears throat> and I live in this broken world. I will never be enough on my own. But He has given me redemption. Past, present, future forgiveness. This world can't take that away from me. It will try. It will try to distract me from that. The greatest testimonies of our faith and our Savior happen sometimes in the deepest struggles that we're going through holding on to Jesus, not to, to ease or comfort, but to the Savior. And some of us, we sacrifice living in that joy. 
walking in that joy because we've left the battle. We run to relief rather than joy. And the world offers lots of relief, immediate relief. None of it lasts. Listen, most of the time in the storms of your life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, Jesus is changing you, not necessarily the circumstances. He is working in you and he's working in me to give me more of himself, to grow me in my faith. We have D groups coming up. D groups is where we support one another, push one another into Christ more, press into each other's lives. A D group is a discipleship group. So we have Sunday morning worship. We have small groups where we get together and study the word. And we have discipleship groups like two or three of us get together during the week. We share with one another. We hold each other accountable. We lean into one another. We cheer one another on. We get to know one another's lives and we remind one another of the promises of God. This is a struggle for a lot of people. I've had a lot of times where we have folks that will come to, you know, to church or come to small group and then D group. It's like, I just really can't fit that in. I think a lot of times at the heart of that is a fear of vulnerability, right? We live in New York City. It's a place of uh, extreme pressure. We rarely get under the surface with anybody. And so we feel this pressure to keep a happy face. I got, I got my stuff together. Yes, I got my rent paid this month. When it comes to money and relationships, to all of our struggles, we keep that kind of hidden. And so when it comes to getting into a small group or a smaller um, couple of people getting into one another's lives, really, we come with this armor still on. And to allow myself to be vulnerable is, is a challenge because I'm afraid of showing others my weakness, my brokenness. And at the heart of it, it's giving up control. Somewhere, I want to reserve the right to still decide for myself my spiritual walk. And maybe I don't see knowing Jesus and his will for my life as a treasure anymore. When I set, his, when I set the will of God aside, when I convince myself I've had enough Jesus and I stop pursuing his will and knowing him. And I surrender to sin in my life and to the world's demands because I'm just kind of tired of that feeling when I do it. I'm tired of saying that prayer. I become less and less willing to allow anyone in that would challenge that. So let me just ask you this morning, who do you have in your life that's holding you accountable spiritually? Who do you allow yourself to bring your brokenness to, your struggles to, your doubts? This shows us that we're really seeking to know Christ and his will for my life. I'm, I'm really seeking to have his authority as the authority of my life, make myself vulnerable to my brothers and sisters. So what are you looking for in a church? This, even this, this little room that we're in here, it's hard to hide in this little room, right? We come in, it's kind of an intimate situation. Sometimes we look, just want a bigger room, more people, 
so I don't stick out so much. So I'm not automatically vulnerable. Let me come in and decide to be vulnerable. What are you looking for? Community? Good music? Comfortability? Good coffee? Do they do community service? Listen, we have such a special opportunity right here in this community, in this church, in this season. We have the opportunity to really grow, to press into one another, to press into Christ, to be vulnerable to one another. Now, even in a small group like this, you can avoid it, right? But listen, God has led you here for this season. Press in, press in to know him more. We intentionally don't try to create a buffet of institutional events and activities for you to plug into. We want to be laser focused on making disciples who pursue, pursue the will of God and pursue living that out. Luke 14, 33. I'm closing for sure now. Jesus said, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He talks about family, self, comfort, control. The call of Jesus is to follow him, to set him as Lord over your life. Yes, it's intense. It's an adventure. It's beyond my understanding. But that is how we were designed. That's how you were designed to live. And if we resist that, if we say, no, thanks, but no thanks, we will give that authority to other things, to other people. And everything else, everyone else disappoints. You may be here this morning and say, this all sounds crazy to me. You don't know Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus came to qualify you and I to have a relationship with God. So we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess if we've been good enough. We've all sinned. We're all broken. I think we all know that. God is perfect. He gave Jesus so that we might have a relationship with him and that his work and influence and transforming power would be available in every one of our lives through his spirit he gave Jesus. If we'd come, admit that you're a sinner, trust him for salvation, follow him as Lord, and then live your life walking with him as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your love. God, I thank you that you continually call to us. Even as I'm sharing this message today, Lord, I'm reflecting on my own personal testimony, reflecting on the story of my life, God, and the seasons where I have sought to do it alone. I've sought to find real life on my own apart from you. And I found it always wanting, never satisfying, leading me down roads I never thought I'd go down. God, thank you that you didn't turn your back on me. Thank you that you don't turn your back on us, but you, you call us first and foremost 
to trust You as Savior, to trust Your provision for our sin, Jesus. And not only that, but that we might live life to the fullest, abundant, in the center of Your will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding, peace in the midst of struggles and storms, joy and endurance, that those around me, my family, my friends, my coworkers, all reap the benefits of because I am following Jesus with all my heart. Lord, be glorified. May we be doers and not hearers only this morning. Help us as a church to continually set Christ on the throne of our hearts and on everything that we plan, on every resource, that we would introduce people to you and make disciples of every nation. In Jesus' name, amen.